commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Grex Kondak, and you're listening to Core World News. You're the whole news show's in-depth coverage for the latest stories from around the galaxy. Now, the news segment rundown for May 14th, 2021. More mouse than man. 99 problems, but a bad batch ain't one. Starlight Beacon Bulletin. Kyber Crystal Comics Corner. Boba's Bounty Board. Now have your host, Ben Grant and Adam, to discuss. All right. Thank you very, very much, Grex. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Core World News. Um, a lot of new content to talk about this week, so why don't we just get right into it. Um, first up, we're going to be talking about this Art of Galaxy's Edge book that um, ran across our purview recently. And caught our attention, and we just wanted to go through it and uh, highlight a couple fun things from this book. I'm looking at Grant and Adam right now; both have their noses <laughs> deep into this book. Um, what do you see there, guys? Anything catch your uh, catch your eye right off the bat as some fades? I mean, I can't stop looking at all this art. It's it's gorgeous, and the one thing I really the real takeaway from this is just how much learning about how much work went into making Star Wars real, making it an experience that, that you could actually dive into an immersive, you know, uh, real world experience, what it would feel like to live in the Star Wars galaxy and how to bring those things to life. I think that's really, it's really wonderful to get the insight from all the artists in this book, especially Doug Chang, Chang uh, and, and some of the lead artists who discuss just, just what it takes to make Star Wars reality and what, yeah. you know, the fabrics, the textures, the, the silhouettes, you know, everything that it takes to bring it to life. Uh, that I found all that stuff extremely fascinating. Um, and just the art, it's stunning. I mean, this is, I'm so happy to add this to my collection. Uh, this is written by Amy Ratcliffe. Um, she did an incredible job with this book. It's, it's, um, it's going to go right next to all the other art of books. And I'm happy to, that I, that I have it. And cause it's got, it's got so much world building and there's so much, production design here that you, that you normally wouldn't get in the art of books. A lot of the art of books have character driven, yeah. you know, uh, artwork and things like that, where this is really wonderful atmospheric kind of, uh, environments and, um, set, uh, kind of production design elements and things like that. It's just, it's stunning. Like I am very happy to add this to the collection. Yeah. Agreed. I, you know, I got this, I, I will go on a certain evil, giant company's website occasionally and see all the star wars books coming out and then pre-order them and forgot i pre-ordered them and this is what i forgot to pre-order and just magically appeared on my doorstep and i'm like oh that's right and my hope was that i would had gotten to disney uh, galaxy's edge before reading this um the birth of my child and pandemic had other plans uh which is fine um the first thing being much more important than going to Galaxy's Edge. Uh, but reading through this has made me very, very excited to go. And it really does combine like two of the things that I really love. Like I I, I love Star Wars, obviously. I'm on a Star Wars podcast. Um, I also really love um, the history of ride designs and Disney World, like I, I just find that the history of theme parks really, really interesting. And actually, listened to a couple other podcasts that's all about 
ride designs and things like that. I just, I really geek out. I'll actually watch on YouTube, like ride throughs of things. This is a memory of like, Oh, that changed, this changed. And so to actually get to the bottom floor of this is, is really, really interesting. And a, and a related thing is like, there's a, there's a documentary on Disney plus called the Imagineering story, which is actually worth a watch. It's like a six part thing about the history of Disneyland and Disney world and the development of it. And it's actually for that giant evil corporation, quote unquote evil corporation to take a look at itself. It's actually a very honest uh, look at, at the different eras of Disney. Um, so I was really fascinated to, as Grant said, to kind of look at all these concept arts and see these designs and see what could have been. Um, so there's, there's a couple things I want to highlight, but I, I've used up enough air. So someone else talk. All right. I'll just uh, cut in here for a second. I mean, just to echo kind of what you both said, I, it's for me, the concept art is always, it's like its own journey that, the images are just magical to sort of submerse yourself in. And, you know, there's a lot of like near gets. And even when, you know, there's been times when like in solo, if you match up shots, like the concept uh, art, like matches one to one. And in, they even do that in uh, Rebels, you know, because it's really off of uh, Macquarie's art. And they really like they really nail the things Mandalorian like. But there's something I don't know. There, there's something about this like 2D still image, sometime that like can emote more. There's something about mm-hmm. seeing, even like the mistakes. I'm looking at like a concept for the um, first order bunker, and it was going to be like built into a ledge, and it's a black and white draw, pencil drawing with like a red banner over this massive mouth of a cave with like a Tie Fighter on an elevated platform. It's just magical. There's something. It's it's a different medium, and it. Uh, and it it's still it really draws me in in a in a different level than than you know moving pictures do, um, and uh, I really love it. So yeah, it's I, really cool to just, see the the different concepts for that just that first order hanger like that is yeah. it's so cool to see that because it's obviously you know you 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 you'd like to think these are these were plausible options that could have been but you know what's at the park you know may have been the most practical way to do it but. It's like it's just cool to see the different designs, and I'm sure they're going to expand this park in the future. And I'm yeah. sure we're going to see more of these designs, you know, be repurposed or and things like that. And, and certain architectural elements will be, I guess, used again. And these these concept this stuff oh, yeah. is invaluable. It's it's really really wonderful artwork. That that brings up what, what you both said. Just brings up something really interesting: is that these art of books are usually meant for things that we observe in two dimensions or fake three dimensions, right? Like we watch movies, TV shows, even the Jedi Fallen Order is a video game. Um, and so you get those those concept designs where people know like, oh, well, we can either do this practically or if that doesn't work, we can CGI the strings out, right? Like we can yeah. fix some of this stuff and make it work. Th- what's really interesting about this is all these designs, except for the rides, which a lot of the rides, like the Millennium Falcon rides, use a lot of CGI and things like that. But for like the bartender thing, there's really a, a couple of interesting pages of, of concept arts going nuts. And then the yeah, that might be my favorite section. Yeah. Into the yeah. watering hole section. Yeah. Showing spice dens and cantinas and yep. lounges and things like that. And the artwork, um, just some of these artists, uh, uh, Del Rio, Wernick, uh, Kang Lee, Penna, these are brilliant artists that i don't know are featured in the other art of books so this is definitely worth picking up because we're seeing all new environments done by just a crack team of writers that uh i mean um, artists illustrators that is just it's it's really mind-bending stuff like and, and gorgeous yeah. like the artwork is stunning 
And it's such an interesting idea of collaboration because you have these these concept artists who are just like probably like Doug Chang used to working on something where they can make it real. If you dream it, you can make it real on in the movie screen on television. And they had to go back and forth. The Imagineers probably going the Imagineers looked at the stuff and goes, yeah, yeah we, we, we have to make this so humans see this and interact with it. We can't do this. But reading there, seeing the concept art evolve and reading the little blurbs, it seems like they had a really collaborative experience of like, that's really cool. I don't think we can do that. But what if we moved it here and did it this way? Right. Like they kind of went back and forth. And there's just a quick thing here. I just will read one blurb that I think is really telling about them trying to figure out how to create an alien bartender. (laughs) This is Doug Chang saying, "Uh, we slowly started to peel back the layers of reality, figuring out how we could achieve an alien bartender. We knew that if it was a cast member wearing a suit, it would be a lot of prep and not the most practical way to go about it. So maybe the better way was to have an animatronic bartender, something that we could actually operate 24 hours a day. But then there's the sacrifices with that because you're limited to the actual physicality of having the bartender interact with guests with a guest. So like it's just this really interesting thing. You see all these these different types of them trying to figure out, can we put a Gamoring in a suit? Can we do this? And then if we do animatronic, do we maybe just put an animatronic bartender in the middle? That's not actually interacting with guests, but pouring fake drinks. Like, it's just really yeah. neat. You can just see the story of them trying to figure out how to create this lived in world. Right. And Adam, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a massive documentary on Galaxy's Edge that really gets inside baseball on Disney+. Plus. Have you watched that yet? Um, I, start, I started I, watching it and I was just like, no, because we haven't been to the park yet, which is ridiculous. But uh yeah, so I stopped because I didn't want to blow the park because it looked like they were going to go through the whole thing. I didn't. I, I don't. I didn't see that. There is. Um, oh, do you know what's really funny? So I'm looking at. Mm, that's really interesting. So the Imagineering story used to be seven parts when we first watched it when it first came out. And that was way back when Disney Plus yeah. dropped a year and a half ago. And there were seven episodes, and the last episode yeah. was about Galaxy's Edge, which we watched. So I think they peeled – that's no longer on there. So I think they peeled that off and repackaged it okay. as its own thing. So I think I did see it. <laughs> okay, oh, but it's just got <laughs> – But re- they've now repackaged it because now they stop with the opening of Disney China. Yeah, but it seems like that that tells a lot about that story too. Yeah, I was really – hesitant to watch it but it did an okay job it didn't ruin too much it it did show a little bit of the rise of the resistance ride but they didn't really spoil too much that i haven't seen in the you know advertisements for it interesting yeah, it's really the kind of blueprints and how they brought it to life in a lot of ways where they they do a good job in this book of not really spoiling the experience but, but showing you how the experience was crafted and things like that and uh, there's a wonderful blurb uh, um excerpt from um the the Den of Antiquities section oh. with Doc Ondar, yeah, where Doug Chang's kind of explaining what it takes to bring, you know, that environment to life and other interiors to life. And it's like, uh, on one level, the overall impact, uh, what layout makes sense for the room, what fits with the character, what is what is a space guests can see and navigate clearly, um, uh, uh, what is, uh, uh, led them to making Doc Ondar's multi-layered and tiered. The other level is the set dressing. Chang explains, how do you add the richness to that to give it detail? So it's like they're thinking about not just like what it feels like to enter the architecture, but also the set dressing. I think that's it's like it's it's like interior design and architecture. There's there's so much that it takes to bring these places to life. And I think they're just nailing it. And it's cool because it's like the Macquarie kind of straight lines. But then it's Doug Chang's curves and it's kind of like some of the prequel aesthetic added to that. I think Batu is a wonderful mixture of kind of Macquarie and 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 Doug Chang led art direction. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, really, I feel like 
that's I mean nearly flawless. Like the the concept artists they have for this. Maybe there's just been enough you know Star Wars inspired artists that have gone this direction. But Doug Chang obviously is the anchor of of that team. He's been there probably the longest at this point. But um, all of this art is so inspired and 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 fantastic. They never have they never have to want for um, good concept art because they just they just no, like a stellar, stellar team. Um, speaking of concept art, um, our friend, casual nerd, Jason, um, our, our science correspondent, as far as whether he knows that or not, uh, <laughs> he, he's doing a series on Instagram right now, uh, on the concept art for Jedi fallen order. Yeah. That's a great uh, book. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, you're probably listening. Um, yeah, I'm River Ghost. I've been posting as my uh, my band name, which is my solo electronic music project, which I'm going to pitch to all of you. It could definitely be a good Star Wars it. soundtrack. It's yeah, awesome. Instrumental things that could come from the great beyond, the galaxy far, far away. Um, anyway, so that's me posting on all of your posts because I find <laughs> I have notes on everything as always. Nice. Um, anything else uh, on this I... this book before we uh, move on? Yeah, I have like 17 things, but I'll try yeah. to narrow it down. So, okay, no, um, no, no, but one thing I found really neat is that they actually showed early concept art for other rides that could have been, which I'm like, I'm like, why are you sharing that? <laughs> other than my thought is, as Grant said, they might still build and expand this park. And there might be that if they get enough people kind of saying that would be cool. One, there was supposed to be a speeder bike oh ride goodness. like that looked amazing. It goes through like an old abandoned Imperial Star Destroyer. Like, it looks like it's on Jakku. So uh, I'm guessing it's not because that's going to be a Batu, but it looks like it just looks amazing. And then there's one that was just like a bounty hunter, um, a bounty hunter chase ride that would fill their desires to be a bounty hunter who's being chased down by the authorities. Wow. Well, yeah, that's going to come up later in our. Is that, guess, is that right? the one where the, the ride looks like almost like the slave one, the, the actual vehicle you get into? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's the one. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, then there's like some concept art of like speaking of slave one in the droid shop scra scrapyard. There's like, they originally was going to have, they're going to have a decrepit version of slave one just lying in the junk heap, which would have been oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, we already uh, know that's on Takodana. Like it'd be cool to do a seasonal, like a, a area where you could exhibit a different ship each season. You know, that would be yeah. fun. Uh, I, yeah um did either of you have kind of a favorite little nugget that you saw from this i guess maybe that's a quick way i mean i did i already talked about the den of antiquities and i yeah. really like the um the reliquarian uh kind of headstone i think mm. it's called mm -hmm. the anti antiquarian headstone i love kind of like uh like hieroglyphics and pictograms and things like that and so when i see like alien kind of reliefs stone reliefs and things like that i'm like that's super cool i would like to see that more in star wars like i Kind of gives me glimpses back to the the Rakatan uh, from Knights of the Little Republic, like kind of ancient mm -hmm. you know, alien species that, you know, and they, that kind of stuff looks cool to me. Like, I really love stone sculptures and things like that. Uh, uh, a lot of the droid designs um, in the, the droid section, it's pretty sweet. Um, I don't know if you, you saw those. Um, yeah. But I think the Halcyon is the standout. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can we talk about the Halcyon a little bit? Yeah, I think. Yeah, we've talked we, about it before, but this is the this is the cruise ship. This is the hotel that doubles as a cruise ship. Um, and there's a lot in here. 
Um, now, granted, I don't know how much of this is concept art and how much of this will actually exist in the world, but it's it's shown us quite a bit. I mean, the one that just popped out to me is that there is a um, a lightsaber dojo. Oh, go on. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, but trying to capture the idea that guests of all ages will be able to truly wield a lightsaber. Um, so that's the point. Like, like, and looks like there's training droids and stuff. Adults and kids alike will be able to wield a lightsaber and face off against this training remote deflecting laser bolts. This is intentionally moody piece. And then just talks about the piece itself. But yeah, it looks like there's actually they're trying to put together like a lightsaber dojo. If you guys lose me on the Halcyon, I'll be in the lightsaber dojo. Yeah, we got. <laughs> you can always find me in the lightsaber yeah. dojo. This thing's gonna be so expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> every yeah. time I see this stuff, I'm like, I can't afford this. We've already start, talked about it, like start saving now. Start well, saving now. I uh, family know that it's gonna probably be for a very important uh, birth date at some point. Yeah, like, it's gonna be like this is gonna be my yeah. I think they can make it affordable, but maybe if you want to do like a wedding or a special. I mean, they could make it affordable, but they don't have to make it affordable. In in fact, I mean, I don't really approve of this behavior, but it makes sense. They need to make it expensive to cut down on like crowds and waiting and lines and stuff because it's going to be so in demand. They're going to use price point as a way to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bummer, but we'll see. I mean, it's one of those things I'm sure if you want to get in in year one, it's going to be crazy expensive. But, you know, year three or four might get some deals. Um, Weirdly, my favorite thing in this entire uh, book, and there's a lot that I liked, but going back to the cantina they showed concept art and i don't know if this is a thing but they showed concept art for the different uh coasters at the bar and i just want to go and get all of them if these are real things they have a yub nub coaster which is like they're just the graphics on them are great it's just amazing they have a bloody rancor coaster a blue bantha coaster a yub nub coaster a gamorian ale coaster Oga's Cantina. I don't know why I keep saying. You mean you're, are you? I thought you were talking about roller coasters, but you're no, talking no, about like coasters about, like, actually going... like that you put your beer on. Like, oh, yeah, that's all I want is just a collection of those. That's got to be in the den of antiquities. I would think so, right? If they make them, they must sell them. Yeah, or they just like have a bajillion of them behind the bar, and they're like, just steal them. Just take you're it. You're gonna steal them. Just steal them. Yeah. Um, so like. Uh, there's art of the the droid shop backdrop, and it's it's like uh, I got a smelter pouring lava, basically like molten lava. Like, is that? Yeah. At the there's no way that's. At the I don't know. We're all gonna. We're all. <laughs> we'll all find out at some point in the hopefully near future. Um. Yeah. And finally, the saber building room is inspired mm-hmm. and magical, and I I need to get there at some point. We will. I'm gonna call it. It's uh May 2022 at the latest for Core World News at. Uh, at Galaxy's Edge. Okay. All right. At the latest. Because, uh, you know, they now, they moved. I guess the only news this week is they moved uh, Star Wars Celebration from August to May of next year. Mm. Ooh. So, yeah, maybe we do a double header there. Yeah. Be a lot of content. Um, just to chip in my fave, I'm a, and I'm actually going to rehash the one that I already mentioned. It's this um, great black and white and red drawing, um, I you know, of this stronghold for the First Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have and I it's it's because it's the scale of it. You can see they drew little people so you can sort of see how massive it is. And it, it, I mean, it's the picture is obviously from a distance. You know, you probably yeah. 
to really get a look at this, you're probably 200 feet away of, of this thing. And so that's probably why they didn't use it. Cause when you're, I mean, there's going to be very few vantage points that far away, but, and when you're like close to it, it might be sort of, you know, it might lose some of its luster or its detail. I mean, it's perspective is such an important part of these parks and, um, you know, for Disney and these things. And it, it's, they've got to make it look appealing from like close, you know, close up and far away. Yeah. But this is like, I mean, just this massive, like the integration of the natural rock with the like Star Wars greebliness plus the like brutalist architect, like imperial architecture um, is, yeah. is breathtaking. And to like walk near this massive platform. I mean, if you're standing next to it, you wouldn't even be able to see the TIE fighter on top of the landing platform. Right. Um, but from a distance, it is so intimidating. Um, and I feel like it would really give you that sense of what's there. So it's, I'll, it's, I'll have this photo always. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like they they talk about in that documentary or that or that section of the documentary that I saw that Disney talks a lot about trying to create a world when you enter whatever it is. And with Galaxy's Edge, it was doubly so. And so you enter through it through an arch. And it's actually a tunnel so that once you get through, like it opens up to this amazing thing. And if you've ever been to Disney, you will realize that's how they do everything. <laughs> like everything you enter is through an arch and then it's just this amazing Vista. But they were very, they looked around, especially in Florida of like, Oh, well, if you look over here, you can see a water tower. So let's build this thing higher. So like really when you're in galaxy's edge, because it's a walled section, you can't see anything but Star Wars. Like you can try, but you're not going to see any like Earth things around. Right. So it really is like they they really do try to do that scale in a way of of providing you with that. And Ben now changed his background to that concept art, which is amazing. Yeah, just so y'all can see it, but it yeah, is. it's so good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and being obsessed with lighting and shadow play and ambient lighting and practical lighting, I really love the section on 125 where they're they're talking about light sources, practical light sources and things like that. Mm. And how to cast light in a room and how to like the how to really, you know, uh, I guess add that Star Wars flair to the the atmosphere. Um with oh, that's the, really light, interesting. the lighting in general. Yeah, that's yeah. an excellent point. That's something we'll definitely I mean I'm going to try and memorize every inch of this place when I get into it. I just can't wait to just soak it all in. But you're so right, Grant and Grant's a filmmaker, so he thinks about lighting and it's a really underappreciated art form in the world is uh, yeah, very lighting. True. You know, you can change your whole way of life based on how you light your home. And um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how they light these. I'm imagining probably a lot of colored um, LED sort of hidden, you know, bouncing off walls and, you know, up shooting through greeblies and things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be cool. And then uh, there's one other section that shows an early concept for a, a creature that was going to originally like walk around the park. It's, mm. it's called Ely. Mm. Uh, yeah. Very, very cool. Hoping to see that in the future over there. I would hope that there's dozens of those. I mean, like, you know, just to like really give the feel, I would want to see, a, you know, non-humans everywhere. I, you know, it'd be great to see that. I think right. we're going to get there. I don't there. think it's a part of the park currently, but yeah. you might see it in the future. Yeah, that, that's an opportunity for growth there. Um, great. We, um, I think we covered this for now. We could probably talk about this for a lot more, but um, we've got some original content. We're going to talk about the next episode of Bad Batch starting meow. If you're having clone problems, I feel bad for you, son. I have 99 problems, but the Bad Batch ain't one. Uh, hit me! All right, 
right, uh, welcome back to another episode of 99 Problems and a Bad Batch of One. Um, this is today, this week, and today, uh, we are going to cover uh, episode three, The Replacements. Um, another interesting donation to the new canon here. Um, and we're learning more about Omega and, you know, really three factions that are, are moving forward in this uh, episode. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Gentlemen, yeah. um, any parts that, that stuck out here? Or should I do a little, little synopsis first? I don't know. It's, it's really quick, right? They're, they get stranded on a moon, our, our yep. heroes, the uh, Bad Batch, as it were. Um, and simultaneously, we have Tarkin trying out uh, con in recruited stormtroopers. This new, you know, seeing, you know, measuring clones versus conscripted soldiers. Yep. Um, to see which is better. And then we have uh, the Kaminoans, which I love as a plot line in this show, um, sort of trying to save their biggest account. Like it's like a yeah. sales, you know, problem, which I appreciate. Um, and yeah, and it and it, so it goes. We um, want to start with uh, the, our Bad Batch arc here. Uh, anything stand out with that? I just happened to be talking to my coworker today about the Chronicles of Riddick. So it was sort of funny that this popped up because it's a lot like that movie where they get lost on the moon and they're hunted by creatures. Yeah. Lizard moon. Yeah. Yeah. Lizard moon. Um, it, my quick thought is that, um, so this is great. It's star Wars. So we're dealing with another adopted family story, which is awesome. Yeah. I love this. Like my four dads. Um, but boy, they are really horrible parents. <laughs> Yeah. Is it too late to call this segment my not Wrecker. Wrecker's <laughs> heart's in the right place. All right. Yeah. Wrecker's uh, heart's in the right place. His head's going to be a problem very, very soon in an <laughs> upcoming episode, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I love that. Like, Hunter's like, don't, no, you can't come. You're a little child. Can I please come? All right. Fine. You can come. <laughs> Fight yeah. this dragon. In, inhospitable. This moon dragon. Moon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, also you can't breathe, but, you know, this little it's breath later should help you. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of little nuggets that they're planning here. This is only episode three of 16. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of little things. So there's this weird side plot. And so I watched this episode twice because I had a little dead time before we started rolling. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to run that episode back. And there's this mystery about Wrecker who hits his head during a crash landing. But it, like it, I think the only point of that was that he couldn't go on this mission because he had a headache or a concussion or something. Possibly. Um, that, that's the way I, I viewed it the second time. Yeah. So you've watched it twice. So I'll defer, but I, I, my feeling is that they're playing multiple possible reasonings for this, which is part of it is like, because we also have tech having that discussion about wanting to look at the chips implanted. So I think what they're yeah, playing, and creating a device to analyze the yeah. chips, which is a huge MacGuffin. So I think what they're kind of planting is, was it just the fact that Wrecker hit his head or is it the chip acting. malfunctioning or acting up? And and I could I could see it going either way. I have a feeling because we have 16 episodes. And the other thing to point out about the Bad Batch, which I think I realize why I'm really enjoying is it's not like the Clone Wars, which is good. But the Clone Wars would have three, maybe four episode arcs and then move on to another character. We are doing 16 episodes of these characters. This is like a just a yeah. regular TV show. So they're slow playing some of these things. And and so they're planting seeds that are going to pay off. And I have a feeling we're going to get we're going to get Wrecker's uh, chip acting up in a way. Right. Then they're going to have a problem, right? Because it's going to be like yeah. smash. Yeah. 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 
I was just thinking, yeah, Avengers, the first Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just go, you know, destroys the helicarrier and goes wild. Like I was thinking record could do that. That'd be, a, that would be really terrifying and, and really ratchet up the stakes if, if that were to happen. So yeah, that'd be cool to see his inhibitor chip act up. It, it definitely seems like tech is setting that stuff up. Uh, yeah. And, I can see if he tinkers with any of their chips, he may accidentally activate one. That, that yeah, most definitely happen. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. good point too. Because Tech is sort of not a flawless character. He's you know clearly like he gets you know obsessed with some things, but he ignores other critical things and you know things vital details and factoids slip through his his radar, so to speak. Um, and and they're they're playing that up more, more so now than they have before. Um, in his character. He's not always right. Like he's not Mr. Know-it-all. It's true. Um, and, and I feel like with tech or I mean with uh wrecker, it gives them a chance, right? We get the, the big plot is we get Hunter talking about, um, crosshairs. And we'll talk about crosshairs in a moment of the reason why he's, he's upset is not because crosshairs betrayed him because they kind of realized it's the chip, but that he left crosshairs behind, right? They left yeah. a family member behind, and so if we get Wrecker's chip acting up, it gives him that chance, right, to yeah. save him, right, to not leave him behind, to try to fix him. Right. And I do hope they go back for um, Crosshair because he's a great member of the team. <sighs> I don't know. I, I think, think Adam was far. on something last week when he said Crosshair might be the the very first Death Trooper. Um, I, I think I I definitely think that I think you might see the invention of that, the death trooper armor in the show, like the garbled speech, you know, what the might explain everything about the, those characters. Cause even, even in this episode, with the, the replacements, these new recruits, these, these conscripts, you see that they're wearing the black clone armor. Yeah. Know, yeah. Green visors. It's close. It right? seems like the logical kind of like a uh, kind of a precursor to the death trooper armor. Right. So let's talk about that that story arc right now. So this is the other one. We have a new um, a new admiral, actually, at the end of the episode, he becomes an admiral. Uh, Rampart. Rampart. Thank you. Admiral Rampart, another uh, whitey. And um, he, you know, classic, classic um, imperial, except he has brown eyes or yellow hazel eyes, maybe. Yeah. Just felt like a new eye color. Um, but Somehow yeah, so more evil than Tarkin. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, on the, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. they definitely go to the pet store just to kick puppies together. That's yeah. like their <laughs> Sunday afternoon activity. Um, and they yeah. Um, yeah. So he's developing this this thing and we don't really know what it is yet. I have to say when I first so they, they show four recruits, right? These are like, oh, these are my trained people. And it, it could be sort of anything. It could be the beginning of just the Stormtrooper Corps, though they seem specialized and, yeah. you know, do different things. Um, it could be, you know, what Grant said, the uh, the the Death Trooper prototypes. Like they made up. Let's give credit where credit's due. Oh, it was Adam. Right. Adam it was started all, us on this. Originally Unless Adam. I'm wrong. And then it was all Grant. <laughs> noted. Um, duly noted. Um, but uh, the other thing, when I first saw the conscripts with their, their uh, helmets off, I was like, oh, no, this is going to that's that's Iden Versio. And that could be um, oh, I, I just forgot his name. Del Mico, mm. I thought. Um, but I, I think actually because it looked the the female, there's like a lighter skin female character um, that I thought could be pass off as Gianna Ivankar. But um, 
uh, Iden Versio from the Battlefront yeah. 2 um, single player story. Um, but then the second time I watched it, she looks more Asian than Latin American. And so I think they're just it's just new people um, that are there. But it'd be yeah. interesting. We don't know. We haven't got their names yet. So that's a third option is they could be special forces. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or they could just be stormtroopers and they have no idea. It's like, you know, they have no idea what it is. But it's interesting that the key. So the differentiator, it's right. Why would you go away from. Why would you get away from clones to do like conscripted soldiers? Oh, because the loyalties of those that willingly exist, like yeah. to literally quote Rampart, willingly, right? Like, uh, yep. Yeah. 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 And from Tarkin's point, it's money. They're cheaper. Yeah. Credits, imperial yeah. credits, it's cheaper. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot going on there that I think are really interesting. We also get a, a, a lore drop, Project War Mantle. Yeah. And yeah, so wait, that's so that's the third storyline, right? Is that wait, maybe no, we, Rampart mentions it is probably oh, War Mantle. Mentions it. So War we, Mantle. I think it's related to the Stormtrooper. So I'm thinking War Mantle might be the Death Trooper protocol, but we'll see. Mm, yeah, that sounds about right. There also is another protocol in our third um line, which isn't far off of the, the Death Trooper line, but this is the the Kaminoan line. And so at the very end of the episode, they're talking about their backup plan they yeah have a plan i forget what they call it um but essentially they it looks like they're they've they've running the the django um biological material and samples they have is degrading and they're right. i guess creating worse clones or not getting the same return so they need to do something else but it looks like he said lama Su says we only need one and uh, you know because they're like well we're gonna have to call everybody back but like we only need one of them. So it seems like are they going to do a second generation clone, like a clone of a clone? No, I mean, maybe. So we can theorize. There's been a lot of theories about what and who Omega is. There's been some some wacky theories that could be right. I'm going to go with Octum's Razor. Um, she is about the same age that Jing, uh, that Boba would be at this time. Yeah. Um, so my theory is that she is just a pure genetic clone of Boba Fett, non-tampered, but a female. She's basically Boba Fett's sister. And so they need her back because she is a pure clone, which means that her DNA is untampered with. Right. So does that mean, I mean, or they need Boba Fett because he's an untampered baby. clone as well? Yeah, we could definitely bring baby Boba Ooh, back in. That would yeah. be a big... I, 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 I mean, I think they, they're making her the same age as Boba for a reason. I, I can't imagine you not having, or about the same age. I think she's might be a little younger, right? All right. Well, I'll say Deveronian's advocate here. Um, yeah. They, like, that is the target age demo for... Of know, course. For yeah. Disney and Star Wars, right? They need an eight-year-old in their show. And actually, Grogu's kind of weird. He's 50, but he's three or two or whatever, you know? <laughs> Which is why we love them and kids love him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of a... that That's one of the ways they sort of got away from that. But, it, like, it's sort of generic to just throw... Like, Ahsoka was yeah. the same age, right? When she was a Padawan. Yep. Um, You know, so it's sort of... But, yes, that that's an excellent theory. I, I did not think about that at all. I did hear that theory earlier this week on, on another podcast. I did not listen to that podcast. I did not see I, that. I have to... I, I think that that is the Occam's Razor. That is probably the most plausible. I feel like that would make a lot of sense, and you could really work out an interesting narrative with that being the case, where she is 
Boba's. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get a grant. But, but get to the butt. <laughs> I think there's some other fun options out there. Oh, there's totally. Like, oh, really, Grant? Fun options Which and synergistic options. Lock in falls in attack position. Uh, like maybe the Kaminoans had had a sample left over from a, a heralded uh, Jedi who once led Ooh. the Jedi in a major capacity uh, in in Avar Chris, right? Avar Chris would mm-hmm. wear a gem on her head and would I think believe had blonde hair and, and things like that. I would it would be fascinating if she's a strand cast of both of Django Fett and Avar Chris. I think that would be fascinating. It'd be interesting synergy. It would be it would be almost like a, a weapon that the Kaminoans made as, as as a kind of security blanket. It's like, oh, in case things go wrong, we have this ultimate warrior and we could we could basically spawn an army of, of force users. And that would that would take out an army of highly trained soldiers of any kind. You know, the oh. ultimate weapon. I love the synergy with uh, Avar Chris. That's really cool because she does look like a super young Avar. Um, and actually, the first thing I thought the first time I watched this was like, I was like, oh, they're going to make force Jedi. They're going to make force clones, force sensitive clones. Yeah, it, it would honestly be kind of boring to me if we just kind of kept with the same old, same old, you know, uh, characters that we know, you know, the tried right. and true stuff. It would be fun to really expand that words in, in my point of view. But right, I, I can't I wait like for the High Republic system. to trickle over into these other medium, like uh, from the written page to like actually get into some of this live action animated stuff. All right, so I'm of two minds because A, I love this and I think you're probably right. B, I was really kind of psyched that we were probably going to get a Star Wars show without the Force in it. Not that I dislike the Force, I just, I really want some of the challenge themselves in Star Wars and tell a story without the Force. Solo is the closest thing we got and then we got Darth Maul igniting a lightsaber for no reason um moving on so but to intimidate people um uh, yeah over <laughs> over skype anyway let me get my knife here listen if i had a working lightsaber i would be having it on skype in every every zoom call skype call microsoft teams there would just be i would just be waving a lightsaber around am i intimidating you with my knife stabbing my knife but see how much more intimidating you'd be if that was a lightsaber adam <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I feel like I'm always able to get this back onto my one gripe about Solo. Uh, but I, I do love this idea of bringing the High Republic into this era. Um, in terms of synergy, it is very popular. It, it, that's that series, as we talked about, I think last week, the reports is selling like gangbusters. It's there. It's one of the biggest things in the extended kind of literary universe right now. And, you know, the second you mentioned that, Grant, I just I could I, I'm having I'm having the episode running next to me right now. And I just she happened to be on screen when you were talking about that. And, and it is a striking resemblance, right, with Avar Chris as it's as she's been described. So that could totally be something that'd be that'd be awesome. I I'd be, be game that. for that. Yeah, me too. Right. And so, I mean, we're going to go on and we're going to talk about the next um, High Republic comic. And we're going to talk about the um the Star Wars comic from War of the Bounty Hunters, and they are all like you could draw this really tenuous line between all three of these if you do that. Yeah, it, you know we have the High Republic and Avar Chris there, and then we have Luke Skywalker finding out he learns about all this new, um, these new like Force yeah. dojos, like Jedi dojos that they yeah, investigate. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's like maybe they got you know maybe the Kaminoans found some of this first and like sure. have some genetic material of Avar Chris and. Um, that would be buck wild. I love that theory. That's guys. super cool. 
Uh, a completely unrelated note. I stopped this show halfway through to look at what the rating was on this thing. Um, on um, oh, on um, like episode on on episode three because I was curious to see if this was going to be TV fourteen. It's TV PG. Um, and this is not a critique, but man, this show is dark and violent. Yeah, this I is mean, a really they violent. Killed episode. innocent people with a flamethrower. Yeah. And like it's all off screen, but then we also see a lot of like chest shots. Yeah. Of like like that pilot. That scene with the pilot is yeah, yeah. Really great. gruesome. And I mean, granted, these are bad people doing bad things. So I'm not saying it's gratuitous at all. I was just shocked by it. Like Yeah, yeah there's a firing line sequence yeah. in this yeah. <laughs> episode, and it's yeah. it's heavy stuff. Like I yeah, it's, yeah, it's something. Not a- Kids yeah. should brace your family for if you're going to watch it. Yeah, anyway. and we're we're happy to brief all of our listeners on the show. If you just want to find out what's going on, obviously we'll tell you. Um, but it's worth watching, man. It's a great it's show. Really good. It's really good. But it's um, great. It's really capturing that that the the fear factor of a, a tyrannical regime <laughs> taking over, kind of you know this in in this sort of like blitzkrieg process where it's just like in, overnight the empire is asking for chain codes, you know, mm-hmm. killing innocent people. It's really terrifying. And uh, and Dave Filoni brilliantly captures that fear and the stakes feel just super high. And so um, it, you're just you're rooting for the heroes all the more. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's really fabulous to give us that those, you know, the dark, the dark and the light, you know, with, with the, the darker it is. I think the, the the greater the light shines in the show in a lot of ways. Really well said, man. Um, yeah. I don't even want to follow it up, but I, I have a thing I just want to say. So I, I just want to give my two cents on Omega. Um, she I, I'm more concerned. Like I didn't, uh, you know, I don't really care who she is. We know she's a clone. OK, I just assume because of her beautiful and really fun accent that she's just another, you know, she's another Django Fett clone. Um, but maybe not. I, lo- I love I love, you know, your theory on that. I hope I'm wrong. And it's this really new inventive thing. But um but what the thing that I was preoccupied with, not thinking about that as the other aspect of her was like, how does she fit in the ensemble cast of the Bad Batch? I feel like she's looking for her place in the team and the ensemble. Like everyone has their thing, even though there's a lot of overlap between tech and um, Echo. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just wonder what she does. And I, I was just thinking, you know, I don't know. I was just thinking, you know, maybe she's just she's she's human she's just like a person this is like she yeah. you know she doesn't have any of those things but she's special just being herself like it might, i mean that sounds corny being but a like, non-soldier yeah basically yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i love the part of this that she didn't kill the dragon that she's yes. like oh it's hungry I mean, and i know it's food i'm just gonna give it food and go away like it was heartwarming to me and um i know mark hamill appreciated that he was always sad about you know hurting that wampa um and uh yeah, um, I don't that's know. A, I don't know really what, she's, what no, do you think I, she's gonna do. I mean, I thought she was gonna be a sniper at first. I thought she was just right, gonna right. like. I had that same like thought. I was a little not on board. Was it the first episode where she had to grab the she grabbed the gun and shot and shot crosshairs? Like I just I don't know. Like I just I, not to get whatever, but just watching a child use a a, a gun was not really a super right. fun moment for me and i get it's like it's fantasy and i get it i could disconnect but it just i was kind of like yeah, i don't know how i feel about this and so similarly in this episode i'm like oh so this is the path we're going down that she's just going to be another soldier and now i love that moment in the first episode because it's the writers on this show 
doing that on purpose, right? Getting you to think about this is is basically is, is, are the Bad Batch going to change her or is she going to change the Bad Batch, right? And so right. I really like that idea right. that they are learning to be human, right? They've been soldiers their entire life, literally their entire life. They were conscripted from birth, trained from birth to be killing machines. And now they're being realizing what it's like to be human or, you know, a species yeah. in the universe. And I think you're right. I think she is in some ways she's the teacher of this. She's the, I almost, I think you're right. I feel like she's like the Obi-Wan of this whole thing in a weird way, right. a child like Obi-Wan. She is the physical instantiation of what happens after war. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what she'll just be the shepherd that takes these poor clones and like gives them respite from their life of being essential, essentially war slaves. Yeah. You know, bred to be war slaves, which is, I don't know. I think they are a tragic figure, and maybe she's going to participate in some of that healing. I mean, the other thing is she could just be a medic, right? Like, they could. Yeah, totally could. And, I mean, but the end of the episode is literally Wrecker had made her a tree fort when she was away. It's yeah. super <laughs> yeah. touching. Like, it's just, like, really it's really cute. nice. Yeah. Touching yeah. stuff. And then she is very forgiving, too. She is thinking mm -hmm. of Crosshair in this episode and yeah. saying, it was his inhibitor chip. It was not his choice. And she is trying to redeem him. And 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 she's even promising to um, Hunter that, you know, they'll find him and they'll bring him back. And I was like, this is going to be fun to see play out because right now we're seeing Crosshair's parallel story. And it's he has become this ruthless killing machine. And it's it's going to it's going to be a long journey to figure out how to bring him back in any way. I don't I don't think I don't think you do. It's he's kind of almost robotic at this point where he's good soldiers follow orders. It's just yeah. all he's saying. But if, but if they could change his chip, you don't think he would feel a sense of relief? I think he would. It's it's a hard sell after this episode watching him kill innocence and gun down innocence like yeah. i understand and i'm a big believer in redemption and i'm a big believer in 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 um the fact that people can change in real life in storytelling it's very hard to show that but at the same time we love story arcs of redemption right we love characters that get second chances i mean if you watch any of these sci-fi element tropes we get people being turned to good or looking good i mean you know, not to not to get us into a whole Game of Thrones <laughs> right. arc, but like Jamie Lannister's uh, storytelling on the show was well easy, uh, easy, but it was, but it, but I mean, it but it, 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 I, I love the arc of Jamie Lannister. We liked it's seeing a, it, even the end when he him. runs back to his. No, no, that's what we don't wife. like, right? That was well. Let's not talk. About, the end didn't happen. We'll pretend that whole thing didn't happen. Like, yeah, this whole arc just to be reversed in like five minutes. He's like, well, bye. Yeah, it's a character that throws a child off of a cripples a child, throws him off of a thing at the first right. episode, the first time we see him. And by season three, we think he's the greatest guy ever, and we're really rooting for his redemption, right? So so maybe there is a path back for crosshairs. Right. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm yeah. bullish on that. I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna fix him. There was one scene at the end where they go back to the barracks and it's the old Bad Batch barracks that this new team, mm -hmm. the replacements, are taking over. And he's just sitting on his bed looking at his hands and like yeah. It's a contemplative moment, like, ugh, yep. is this it? What, how, why am I here? Like a, like a Vader moment almost, just like, how did I fall this far? I mean, maybe that's the arc, right? Maybe we do get Wrecker, Wrecker's chip malfunctioning, they figure out how to fix it, and then the, maybe that's the story plot for the second half of the season is realizing now that we know how to fix it, we have to go back and get crosshairs. Right. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm thinking Crosshairs might do some damage to the team, and then Omega might you might see you know the 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 fact that she gets that shot off against him in the first episode, I think that's foreshadowing. I think you might get something where she hurts, he hurts Hunter and then she might take him out or damage the chip maybe yeah. to, to return him back to kind of his natural thinking mm. pattern. And, uh, and, and then he might kill Rampart or Rampart or something. He might do yeah. some damage to the, the Imperials. Yeah. Something. Cause yeah. Cause I think that's the setup. I think you can't kill Tarkin, but I think Rampart's got to go. Like, I think someone's going to take that guy out. And I think it might be Crosshair. Yeah. The reason why we haven't seen Admiral Rampart in any of the original (laughs) trilogy. Right. Right. You'd think he would have a pretty prominent position at this point or somewhere in New Hope if uh, that was going on. Um, Right on. Fun episode. Um, And they're, they're dropping a lot of Easter eggs for some really promising fun episodes to come too. So can't wait. It's Yeah. I just the last thing I know we we're just about to get out of it, but it's just one of those things where like every week when the Mandalorian was on, I'd be sitting there going like, oh, it's like two days till the Mandalorian, one day till the Mandalorian. And the Bad Batch I keep forgetting is a thing. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sorry. I just but no, I'm guilty but, as well. But okay. here's the thing. I sit down and watch it and I'm like, this is so good. It's yeah. really great storytelling. I would argue yeah. darker than Mando, honestly. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I just rewatched season two of Mando, um, and it was so fun. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm the exact opposite. I I I treat this just like I treated Mando. It's on Friday afternoon. I get out of work. I make myself a nice big greasy lunch, and then I sit down and enjoy some Star Wars for the afternoon. And it's like my decompression from the week. Um, I really love it. You're doing it the right way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a way, um, but uh, it's yeah, it just I'm just grateful for new Star Wars. Um, uh, and new, yeah, new animation, new live action, whatever. But um, speaking of grateful, let's um, let's get into the Star uh, Starlight Beacon Bulletin and talk some High Republic. Welcome back to another Starlight Beacon Bulletin. This week we are covering High Republic number five uh, by Kevin Scott, um, Ario and Adito on the art, Mark Morales is the inker. Annalisa Leone is the colorist, and um, VC's Ariana Mayer is the letterer, and Phil Noto, of course, on the covers. Um, gorgeous covers for, mm-hmm. for all these books so far. Um, this one was this was a really powerful issue, and some of the best Star Wars storytelling out there right now. Um, uh, basic summary for this issue is the Jedi fend off an amb- ambush um, by the Hut cartel while a corrupted Skier reveals to Keeve that his connection to the Force is fading before Keeve then help- helps hit her master the ult- make the ultimate sacrifice to eliminate the Drenger infestation on both Sedri Minor and Starlight Beacon. Um, really powerful stuff. Uh, we finally get the fall of Skier. I think it was teased in covers that we saw in earlier issues where we were we were worried about Skier, and it, I think that was just the first uh, infestation infestation of the Drenger kind of taking hold on him. And then mm-hmm. now we're finally he finally did die in this issue, which is a surprise, right? Because the end of the last comic, he was like, "Surprise! I am I've overcome the Drenger. I joined them to understand them better, but I have control." And then like he lost control in the next episode. <laughs> And then, oops, was, that didn't go. Yeah, it was short-lived. It was like yeah, it was a short-lived victory, small yeah. victory, and then taken out. Yeah, I, I love that. It's crazy. Poor Skier. What a complicated character he is, man. It's like, yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm just amazed the amount of storytelling they're doing in all these different things. I I don't know how you could just read like 
Imagine if the only thing you read was The Light of the Jedi, like the first, right. the only adult novel in this series, and then read, I think, is the next one by Kevin Scott? I think the next Rising book, Storm by Rising Kevin. Storm. Yeah. So I don't know what that book's about. I mean, we're going to find out in a matter of a couple of weeks. Um, but a lot has happened. Like in this issue alone, we have two major events, which is basically war has been declared on the Jedi on two fronts, three fronts, really, if we three include fronts at the beginning. Yeah, we, yeah, we haven't really we haven't really talked about um, the Nile much in this series, but we have the Nile. We have the Drenjir and we have the Huts. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, like it's it's going to be interesting when we revisit this in the novel form about to be like, hey, remember where we left you off? Well, to get you caught up now, all of this is happening in the galaxy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I love all of that. And I mean, especially the I don't know. Or well, even test of courage. We get, you know, some Drenger storytelling and it's so yeah. cool to see it expand into the comics. And now it makes me wonder. Um, I, that's why I tried to highlight the. The, the portion of the comic where, where um, Skier is telling Keeve that he, his his connection to the Force is fading. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, that was a huge that reveal. Because I was like, is this the product of the Drengear kind of, you know, spreading across the galaxy? Is this the product of Dark Lords skulking in the shadows behind the scenes? Is this the is this the product of the Nihil, the Nihil and the pathways and kind of the disruption of space and, and the, the great, you know, um, uh, cataclysm right yeah i think it I, I read it to be sort of the arrival of the the resurgence of the dark side like dark side regain balance yeah like dark balance side in general up. okay um it, but like that's just a guess because i wonder i mean we had this break right after at the end of um the first book there uh that i'm forgetting but like stellan geos right didn't he also have a breakdown avar chris's um crush like remember at the end he was in yeah. the top of, of Starlight Beacon, right. just like like just it saw is, like something massive vision, him. right? Yeah, this right. This, but yeah. Like, is it something like where there's a weakening of the light side of the force? Like, is it? I don't know. Is this was well, that Elzar Man or Stellan Geos? Uh, Elzar Man, I think it was Elzar Man. Yeah, right. man. Sorry about that. Yeah, I remember that scene. Yes. Yeah, that was. Yeah, there's definitely this foreboding, you know, dark side um, warning that that right. you get at the end of that book. And it terrified him, but like, what's scarier than like losing your force connection, right? And maybe Ben, maybe that you kind of mentioned, maybe that's exactly what this is. It's just the dark side, right? This this rebalancing, right? The the, yeah. the light side had had it so well, so far, so far, so good, and then they had these three things really present themselves in a matter of months. Right. For the Jedi, and that might be because yes, the huts aren't necessarily dark side, but they might be influenced by the dark side, right? Like just this, just right. whatever you know. However, the will of the Force works its way through the dark side to to get them to feel that they can start asserting their power in the universe or in the galaxy. Yeah, I mean, coming, coming back from all that, the heady Force stuff. Uh, how great is the action in this issue? Yeah, bonkers. <laughs> bonkers. This action is so. It's much solid. rancor action. <laughs> oh my god! We get rancor action. We get hut action. This hut um, uh, leader, this uh, commander, is awesome. She is a super cool character. Uh, she fights back in a big way. Has some great dialogue moments. Um, right. She, she speaks in the third person. Has so battle cool. armor. Yeah. Has battle armor. Bill Bosa. That's does, her name. Right? Does she get named in? in this? Oh yeah. 
thought so. Yeah. Cause she, she speaks in third person. So she's like calling all clan members. Bill Bosa is being overrun. Bill Bosa was attacked. <laughs> Says Bill Bosa. That's right. Uh, yeah. She's got a sick ponytail and some great body armor and, you know, a cavalry of, of Gamorians riding rancor. Like, yeah. Yes. I mean, so, which leads to just an amazing moment of, was it Tarek? Just in, Tarek and Serret. Hey, yeah. yeah the, the reuniting of Tarek and Serret. Yeah. Hero, hero moment for both of them. But just like, was it? I think it was Sarah or Tarek was in the mouth of a just holding open the jaws of a rancor. It was amazing. Yeah, Luke needed a bone. Tarek yeah. just held the mouth. Just up. Did it? Yeah, just did it. It's <laughs> um, core strength right there. It's pretty great. And another great scene. We're on. We get. We flash back to Starlight Beacon for a moment, just to show that they're also dealing with their issues. And I just. I You're love the fact that, oh, yeah. that's my favorite moment. You're talking about my favorite moment. Of, all right, well, you go uh, then. Well, we we all read Test of Courage and we read yes. about Vanestra. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Row, and using the whip. Uh, and I think it is described in that book. But but for in this issue, Kevin Scott just there's a panel here where she just clicks the lightsaber, basically like augments yep. it, changes it, clicks a button to then uh, operate the whip mode, the lightsaber yeah. whip, um, cool. which is super. And then you see it used in this issue. And it's, it's just, just to get that little shot of her kind of activating the whip, you know, mode is pretty cool. And it's just that whole page, right? Cause we get, we get her new, um, apprenticed Emery, right? Like, yeah. So it's just a nice little nod where like, if you're just, if you haven't read that book, you know, you could still follow and this is super cool, but what a great way to just reward readers of that book. Like this, this page meant so much to me after reading that book. I just really enjoyed seeing there together. Like, Oh, you're not going to get rid of me that fast. Basically you're not finished yet. Padawan. I may be new to the master apprentice game. Like just little lines like that. Yeah. Vernestra Rowe is my new, is my favorite. I, I, yeah. I, she's I, great. I adored test of courage. That was a fantastic story. Really? And I loved how this comic highlighted um, Vernestra and Emery um, in their spot. And they gave a little more to their dynamic. She's now like a 16 year old, like with a Padawan. Yeah. And she's like, we're just going to do the best we can. And and she's super strong and and she's a fantastic Jedi. She actually has got some like Obi-Wan Kenobi vibes. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe like, yeah, but but she's like. Marches to a beat of her own drummer too, so that's not really Obi, but we've got some the young master. Yeah, yeah, the, the young there's master. definitely a through line there. She's you know mature beyond her years, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. She's actually got Stala Maru is I think my favorite character um, so far in the High Republic era. What do you love about Estella Maru? Uh, I He's love administrator. that Maru is the head of basically intelligence for like Starlight Beacon and connecting, you know, all the different, I guess, uh, uh, tr- transmissions into the Starlight Beacon and abroad and kind of keeping the Jedi connected um, in a kind of technological way. Whereas I think Avar Chris is kind of the force, like spiritual center of the Jedi. Yeah. And it's cool to see that, uh, that Estella Maru is kind of this techno um, wonderkin kind of jedi right he's like a he's like a jedi admin just like super overpowered administrator um but it's cool but but we'll whip out his yellow lightsaber and just 
take out a few Drengar if they, yeah. If they yeah. Starlight Beacon. Like he's also a fighter. It's pretty cool that he's 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 well rounded in that way. I loved how they discussed just like breaking the windows and trying to space the Drengear. They were just like this brand new station. They're already just like, I don't know, let's just space them. Let's start over. You know, I mean, the thing's massive. It's like the size of a moon pretty much. But um, and it would just be, you know, this one located section. But I did, that felt like really extreme. They were like, well, what do we break the glass and try and space these? Yeah. 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 They were like, no, it's already infected patients and we can't space patients. So. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, this is a wild story doing a lot of really new and exciting things. Um, yeah. It's cool that Estella Maru and Avar Chris are in constant communication whenever there's a crisis of any kind. Right. It's like they have pieces across that. the galaxy. I think that's that, that's the dialogue I care about a lot in yeah. the higher public era. It's so new. Such it a is. thing. And especially like that technology, it must be like, how do they, she has like an earpiece and can communicate in real time with Estelle Maru across the galaxy. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's very different than the way we saw them. Right. In, in prequel, right. Where it's if like, they only they're kind of doing their own Skype, thing. Guys. Yeah. yeah. They knew they could just use the force. Yeah. That's not like, that's very not Deadwood. And, um, it's like, actually they're more technologically advanced where I really thought they were kind of be when you're out on a mission, you're alone, you know? But, yeah. Especially when they were talking about the, when the marketing for this and talking about the frontier and how right. you get Jedi Rangers basically on the marsh marshals on the frontier. And I was like, okay, like, that's interesting. Does that mean they are going out amongst a kind of, uh, native population that hasn't been visited, you know, by the galaxy, you know, very often. And, and therefore they're kind of the ambassadors for the Republic and they're on their own. And yeah, I really wanted, I really want to want to see those kinds of stories, but we do get that. We do get descriptions of that throughout the higher public novels and um, young adult readers and things like that. Yeah. Any other um, highlights before we move along? Not a ton. It was fun watching the Huts team up at the end with the Jedi for, for a couple of minutes. Well, and it's going to be very fun to see them team up next because, again, they're teasing the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, wait for it, wait for it. Jedi on a Rancor, Jedi yeah. on a Rancor, yeah, Jedi that, on a Rancor. That's an alert all of its own. That cover, and we know my feelings about cover and how truthful they are, though. I will say this cover of this issue, very accurate. Very accurate. Uh, so maybe it's they're they're doing a little different. Maybe they'll actually be inaccurate. But I think you can't tease Jedi right. on Rancor and not pay off Jedi on right. That's my feeling. Is that's like a, that's a bridge too far. I think I think the final thing I want to note here is um, uh, I love what Kevin Scott did with the story here with the with the with the uh, Master and Apprentice um, storyline. I love that yeah. Keeve actually has to sacrifice her master or, or help him uh, basically fight back against the Drenger to, to the point he loses his life. Like I, the, the, the fact that she is, has to do that is pretty cool. Yeah. You, you touched on a really important thing, Grant, it, the, the, we get a lot of masters and apprentice in this, which is great. And their dynamics between all of them are vastly, vastly different where I felt like they're, I don't know. We didn't get too much of it before. We saw sort of Obi-Wan and Anakin, and that was kind of it as far as Masters and Apprentices. And, um, you know, and before that, Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan. But now we have all of these different situations, and the 
all the writers have done just a fantastic job to to develop these really unique relationships. We already talked about Bernestra and Imri. Um, and um, yeah, it's yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, they're Keeve and Skier is like pretty cool. An incredible relationship. Yeah. Uh, I, I when I walking into, you know, some of the sequel trilogy films, I was thinking Luke would this would be something that would, might have to might happen with Luke with a, a sort of apprentice character having to sacrifice Luke. I always I always found that mm. fascinating and I wanted to mm. as if he's like he's causing the imbalance or right. unbalancing the galaxy. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know where this go. I mean, Skier could be dead, but I feel like. At every episode, I'm like, did Skier die again? Like, you know, he's he's been really through the gauntlet here. Um, and I'm, you know, tough to kill a Trandoshan, though. It's true. I don't think we've seen the last of him, but we shall see. Yeah, what a what a journey. But, I mean, it, really, his, like, sacrifice, I think, could be the sa- salvation for the Jedi, assuming yeah. they get saved. But, um, yeah, uh, interesting. So another great entry to the uh, High Republic here, I mean, every one of these comics are massive, right? Because at the end, it does say Keeve must on the next issue, number six, it says Keeve must risk everything and attempt to communicate with the Drenger Hive to save Skier and the Republic itself. So Skier, Skier, I think will be healed now that now yeah. this. Um, I was thinking this was it for for Skier, but. I guess he can come back. Uh, he looks pretty lifeless. His eyes look pretty lifeless in that final panel, the final frame. Yeah. Or yeah. Spread. You know, and he did. They did reveal a, a new weapon against the group Drengear, like tapping into the hive mind and communicating that way, um, which was cool. I don't know if they'll exploit that, but I think, yeah, that their journey is going to be very insightful to figure, you know, figure out how to attack their new enemy. Their toughest enemy. The reach of the force continues to amaze me. Like apparently, the Drenger are connected across space. You know, it's it's it's, mm. it's amazing that that the dark side, you know, um, kind of telepathic connection is that strong amongst yeah. this plant species. Right. Mm. Like on yeah. a planet, right? You're like, okay, we're in a single ecosystem, but like, do you really, you know? But like across a galaxy. That's like some, that's a serious hive mind. Yeah. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. Um, certainly a formidable foe. Um, yeah. Rad. Well, we'll um, check in on the next episode and um, it'll be great. Actually, we're going to have a novel coming up soon, right? In June? Yeah. That's, is that when Rising Storm pops up? I just checked. It looks like it got pushed back to July. Very beginning. I think first week of July. Okay. Um, there is another book, I think kind of the young reader book, The Race to Crash point station i think is coming out last is week of june s- is that a sequel is that a sequel to tessa courage or is that a sequel yeah. to the younger one uh, i think it's the sequel to the youngest one well maybe not uh, the youngest uh let me see someone else fill fill air fill time well was we have another to... comic to cover right today uh, yes we yeah I was just curious about the next installment of um, Higher Power. Oh, yeah. I know we've got a couple novels coming down the pipeline, but um, great. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we skip ahead and we can, you know, we'll figure out the lay- outlay for Heart Republic uh, and let you know. But um, why don't we skip ahead to this, uh, the next Star Wars comic we got here? War of the Bounty Hunters. 
bounty hunters. We don't need that scum, 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 scum. All right, welcome to Boba's Bounty Board, the a subsidiary of Kyber Crystal Comics Corner. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're having a little, you know, our own little mini series now that, uh, they're doing their crossover events in the comics. Uh, we are kind of the second published issue in a, what, 30 some odd issue crossover event. Right. Uh, six called, months. Yeah. Called the war of the bounty hunters. So we'll be talking about this for quite a while. Um, so we're going to talk about star Wars number 13 war, of the bounty hunters prelude, the hunt for Han Solo. By Sewell, Rosanas, Rosenberg, Cowles, uh, Paglian, Paz, and Berendo, Burrito. Burrito. I do that every time I kill, but we'll get there. Hey, All right, here's my short. short. Keep going. Here's my short summary. Luke, Chewie, and the droids pick up on the trail of Boba Fett and travel to Nar Shaddaa. While on the moon, they meet up with an old friend and run afoul of Kanji Club, also known as another name we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, all that plus R2 has a Deus Ex Machina moment. Fantastic issue. I loved everything about it. I, I so I'm first of all, I'm just so stoked to see Luke with his like yellow lightsaber. Yeah. yeah his yeah. like his High Republic relic that he's wielding. I, I desperately wanted this in this like cool outfit that's like this tweener like combo between his look in uh, Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's training, which is great. I love a good training sequence. Me I too. love Kung Fu movies, and they never, you know, they they use plenty of time to do those, and so I, I appreciated that. And then, um, you know, we get ch- some Chewy, lo- some Chewy in this one, doing some crazy stuff and some great Archie. Like, I, I don't know, this one had a little lighter moments. This This series has been so heavy for so long, I really appreciated kind of a lighter episode. And I always love when Sewell writes for C-3PO. Like, I think he does, does such a wonderful job with the droids yeah. in general. And then Luke communicating with the droids brought me right back to the original trilogy. Um, just love how he writes that dynamic of, of Luke and the droids. And then Chewbacca in the mix in a big way, mm-hmm. which was really fun. It's just great to get. <laughs> there's a panel of just Chewbacca speaking in Shrewook and... <laughs> Everyone's just yeah. staring at him. And I'm like, I love any comic that will just devote full panels to You're right. Like, I'm a huge fan of that. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, again, on the outfit, Ben, like this is probably the coolest outfit I've ever seen Luke wear. There's like yeah. it's like ninja foot wraps, like baggy pants, like a, a <laughs> tank top type. Thing. Yeah. He's just like a training with, with like several remotes. It's really cool. It's the stuff I really want to see in live action, which is. Yeah, seeing a Jedi train with one remote is cool. Like we've seen it, but to see a Jedi train with like you know a dozen is that's awesome. That's an awesome way to start the issue. Yeah, uh, and then I think we go to one of my favorite locations in the Star Wars galaxy in this issue, which is Nar- the Moon of Narshada. Yeah, um, love that location. Love that planet. Would love to see it in live action as well. Um, and then. Uh, Again, Luke's yellow lightsaber, super cool. Um, been collecting these issues for that very reason because I, it's so cool to see Luke with a like, different lightsaber and catalog that story. Um, but yeah, standout C three PO. Um, kind of early look at the Kanji Club, I, I what, or what I think is the Kanji Club. It's I guess they're called just the Kanji or the Hut, the the Kanji Cartel. What are they called? The Hut Kanjis? Huts of Nar Kanji. So maybe they have their own planet. No, but they're on Narshada. 
So Narkanji might be another moon. It is, because Nar is the moon. So there's Narshada, there's Nar... What's the other one, Grant? Do you remember? There's there's Nalhada, there's another Nar. Nalhada is... Yeah. Yeah. So I bet you're right. I'm sure... I bet you're right. I bet Narkanji is another moon of Nalhada or something like that. So, yeah, so that's probably where Kanji comes from, which is great, which is a nice little piece of lore... Because we don't know anything about Kanji Club other than Episode 7. So the fact that they're all just being sent by huts would be awesome. The fact that Han is still trading and doing deals with, with huts that far into the future. Uh, so, uh, cool. so cool when they get away at the end there. But um, let's go back. Uh, yeah, we can go I, back. I want to talk about Luke. Luke is uh, Luke's feeling a bit cocky in this in this issue and he shows it off in a couple of ways he has that amazing moment during the training session when 3po's talking to him and he just casually blocks a blaster bolt right and he's like you didn't distract me and when he has <laughs> Wait, that's my favorite moment in the issue <laughs> oh it's great but I, I just there's a couple of themes here and then later on when he runs in the i'm just going to call him kanji club because they're kanji club uh he's having a talk and he's holding the lightsaber kind the of kanji club kind of behind him and just like casually ignites it yeah. while talking. Yeah. He's uh we're gonna get a fall. He's starting Luke. to feel himself you a know? little bit too much. But yeah, we'll see. I, I like it. It's 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 cocky Luke's an interesting Luke. We don't get a lot of that. Yeah, I know, but he's pretty cocky when we get to Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah. And then he falls into a rancor pit. <laughs> almost. <laughs> oh no, not almost. Yeah, hundred percent falls into the Rancor pit is the crucible that kind of ends that cockiness. I agree. He really does evolve in Return of the Jedi. There's a nice arc there, Um, but it also felt a bit like like feigned cockiness. It didn't feel like. I feel like he also was in control and humbled, and and even in that first moment in this issue, which the dialogue is hilarious because it's three PO is like. Oh my goodness, sir. I hope I did not startle you during a training. And he's like, nah, 3PO, it's fine. A Jedi should be able to stay focused through much bigger distractions than someone saying hello. It's like, <laughs> which is a great Is this like, really Luke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a reference to like um to uh Obi-Wan Kenobi's hello there, sort of like disarming Grievous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. What else? Uh, the slice noodles kind of um oh yeah ticket um taker ticket uh yeah we saw her uh introduced in the war of the bounty hunters alpha right she's the one that that first runs into boba um so really like that's the crux of this issue is not a lot happens they're just kind of there after everything we saw in the last issue and just now having to basically they're, they're now suddenly in the middle embroiled because Boba messed everything else up in this area. Uh, but we do get a visit from a friend, uh, Sagwa, last seen in Solo. Yeah, great Solo tie in here. Yeah. Good to know Sagwa's thriving. Um, and actually now so he's, he's like, here's my connect, Sagwa. She's like, here, or, or he's like, here's how you can pay for this <laughs> entry fee. It's <laughs> like, or whatever. I was like, oh, okay. Not really, not the best connect, but it was cool to see the reunite, uh, Chewbacca and Sagwa reunite. Like, that was cool. Cool. Yeah, it was cool to see Sagwa join the rebellion, too. That's a good natural step. And I'm glad he's like, you know what? I like the cut of your jib. I'm joining you. It's also nice to know that, like, 
because there's a lot of time between solo and this right yeah. where we yeah. know that wookies did not have it easy they were enslaved and so there's another story where sagwa could have just gotten back into being enslaved by the empire so it's nice to see that he is out in the universe out in the galaxy making his way yeah and i, I liked hearing about there's like a free wookie network that like they communicate yeah. with each other that chewbacca's tapped into that's a cool thing i mean that's as cool as like c-3po's like spy network with droids like um that was a great evolution there uh, also i mean should we can i can i get to my favorite part of this comic oh i have a feeling it might be my least favorite but let's see what is it ben well <laughs> since we see eye to eye on all this stuff um there's so it, it's r2d2 right so yeah. His weird side plot, RGD is like, oh, I have, uh, by the way, I've been met. By the way, I just remembered something. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you this since the Death Star. And so he gets like, he tries to tell him. And first of all, like Luke is such a doll with, with droids. Like he's so sweet to his droids, especially R2. He speaks to them to like their, like their beloved children even, but like not in a condescending way. I just love his interaction with droids. Yeah. Especially R2. And, um, but Archie's like, you know, this might be some interesting information and essentially just tells him, like, by the way, I downloaded the <laughs> while I was connected to the Death Star. I downloaded all of the like locations that had been hoarded about like Jedi temples. And there's there's this one panel and he's like, um, huh, checking all that out could keep us busy for decades. And I was just like, yes, because <laughs> that's, that's the show I want. I want Luke yeah. Skywalker checking out all those Jedi temples for decades. Yeah. Yeah. I especially love that panel that comes right before where Luke puts his hand on R2 and he goes, tell me everything. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Because it brought uh, me right back to uh, the, both Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and Jedi, yeah. Luke putting his hand on R2. And it's just, it just powerful. Like, I yeah. just... Sewell does such a wonderful job, I think, with the imagery or just describing the imagery. And then um, uh, the artist, uh, uh, Ramon Rosanas, yeah, just crushing it. Every frame, is, every panel yeah. is so good. I love this. I love that he has information and that this is going to lead to something. And I do love that decades. I think this is like they're really paving the path for what Luke is probably doing past uh return of the jedi because my guess is with all the storytelling we're getting right now we're not gonna have he's not gonna have a lot of time to be checking out jedi temples on his yeah, you know trying to yeah. come up with a rescue so i like this um i guess we could just explain in the way that r2's been processing this information for years and it's taken him years to crack codes or process it or he just you know thought maybe i'll bring this up in a few years yeah it's an yeah, I mean, time from the death star so yeah three yeah years, years. You know? Three years. He's yeah. had this for three years, and he just thought to share it now. It, and why now? Well, is Sorry. that where the information came from? Great I question. had thought that Luke maybe got some, I don't know, pages yep. from the books in Yoda's. Some you know, sort. This is from 3PO. Some sort of data set he acquired during his during his time on the Death Star. You know, when it starts with some sort, that means it's a definitely definitive. Definitely. <laughs> It's just weird um, to me, um, but everything happens for a reason. I shall yep. be explained. All shall be revealed. That's the that's the point, right? This is Star Wars. Rare, rarely do we just have a throwaway line like that, though. You know, Palpatine returned somehow. Um, so cool. 
Uh, so he somehow has had this data for three years. But I have a feeling, Ben. You're so right. when does Luth go back to Dagobah? Is, does he is he is he go frequently in between Empire and Return of the Jedi, or is it just urgently has to go back at the beginning of Return I think of the Jedi? The Return of the Jedi is the okay. new is new canon. Um, yeah, so he has not seen Yoda since Empire. Since Empire, which is you'd think he'd be preoccupied with Yoda and thinking about Yoda, reaching out to Yoda, talking to Yoda, things like that. He is spending a lot of time in these comics trying to figure out how to learn the force and try to figure out how to do all this stuff. I mean, I mean, maybe part of it is, I mean, I guess I can, it's weirdly I can explain that away. And like, I'm just going to, we're going to figure out why R2's had this for years. It's not, they're not going to just throw this away and, yeah. not, and not pick it's it up. It's curious so timing though. It's, it's just, it's just me being mostly sarcastic about it, um, bumping up against it. But with the Yoda thing, I can almost explain that way better because I think Luke is angry at Yoda. I don't think Luke wants to see Yoda right now. Yoda did not tell him Vader was his father. He told him not to go rescue his friends, right? Like, I think yeah. I think he's actively not seeking out Yoda because he has resentment and anger towards Yoda right now. I mean, that makes That's a lot of sense. Well, I mean, couldn't you make the counter argument that he's the first person he would seek out for that very reason? No, no, not if this person lied to him and kept this secret from him this entire time. Right. I mean, the other thing is that, like, he set out on a mission, and his mission was to save his friends, and his mission's yeah. not yet. You know, it's not a lot of time is going by. Like, yeah, it's true. It is for us, but not really in this comic. So, um, you know, he's just on this mission, like, Han's lost. That's his priority. And so they're working on it, and he's yeah, working on it. There's a great yeah. driving engine yeah. there for the story. <laughs> Right, but you can you can uh, now that you guys mentioned this, I didn't think of this at all. But you're totally right. Like, why not seek out the counsel of your mental, right? a meditation moment? You know, yeah. Yoda, why? Why didn't you, why didn't you? Yeah, think, you know things like that. Yeah, I, I would have totally. I, I like that a lot. Express the anger. I would love. Yeah, to I like that through the force, kind of reaching out. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. I'm on board. That would make sense to me. Right. I don't know because I mean he's sort of that's that heavy moment in return where he comes in Return of the Jedi when he comes back and he's like totally that's that's, that's what I was thinking that's why I kind of led with when he returns in Return of the Jedi is that that for is that kind of that's one of the more an urgent yeah they don't want to undercut that yeah that's the thing but I guess he's he's trying to do it on his own man he's trying to figure it out on his own way and and teach himself which is kind of I mean noble but but odd when you have you know yoda there to sort of help him out but it would be actually it'd be very disingenuous to just be like well anyways i gotta go back to my training good luck finding han you know well but, you you want to learn more about the jedi there's a living you know grandmaster on right. a swamp world right yeah well, so i think he's shelving that and he's shelving this new knowledge that he's got i mean we know he does eventually go on this vision quest and that's what i desperately want to see so this these are the earliest seeds of that vision quest um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, but it, it is odd timing. Like, why of all times and all media, like now they're just going to be like, oh, by the way, these, this is your, you know, roadmap to go on your vision quest that you're going to go on in like a couple of years. years. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're, I think they're actually setting up a new comic series or a new show because, because this mm. series has a limited run, right? Just like the old Star Wars, yeah. the first Star Wars bumped up against, empire right. and this is going to bump up against jedi and once they get to that point if you're going to keep telling star wars comics all yeah. those necessarily have to take place post return of the jedi yeah it makes sense that um it makes sense that 
that adventure would happen in comics. And that, yeah. could be, you know, after the War of the Bounty Hunters, they could just have like Tales yeah. of Skywalker and, um, and that happening there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. it, 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 I just love the seeds that they're laying there and I just can't wait for that story no matter how we get it. It's going to be interesting. Uh, next week, we get uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 12. Yes. Nice. Which is, uh, this is, uh, yeah. War of the so Bounty Hunters. a lot Hunters of balance. Prelude. Engar, right? The Threat in the Shadows. Uh, yeah, you want to, I'll read the, 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 the real quick summary of it. Uh, of as Valance and his reluctant partner Dengar race to intercept Boba Fett and his precious cargo, who are the deadly pursuers that are after them. A dark secret from Valance's past connection to Han Solo may get him killed, I wish, all these years later. But who is this mysterious leader of an assassination squad that is driving Valance into a life and death confrontation with his old friend? Nice. All right. Cool. So. Who's that next week? I mean, this is going to be a pattern for a while. I think we're going to get brand new Bad Batches every uh, Friday, and uh, we're going to get new comics every week for the foreseeable future. And I love <laughs> that we're through October. <laughs> I know. I I love that we're caught up now and um, can just sort of talk about these every week as they happen yeah, um, to keep people that want to be, um, you know, in the loop uh, of uh, these comics. You know, in the loop, and we're we're doing this in real time. So. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for joining us uh, again this week. We really appreciate um, all your support and listening. Um, we see you out there and, and we greatly appreciate you. We're grateful for you. And um, yeah, let's just keep living in the galaxy. Live your best life, everyone. And um, and enjoy Star Wars as we have so much of it. Um, and, you know, have a great week and may the Force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Core World News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you and good night. Remember, the Force will be with you always.